Good morning, everybody. I think it's um, an ironic morning because on the morning that we're talking about listening to God, my voice is like the worst ever. And so you're going to have to excuse my voice. Don't listen to it. <laughs> Try to hear God's through all of that. Um, like I said earlier this morning at the beginning of our service, we're in the middle of a series called Surprise the World. And in this series, we've been unpacking what it looks like to surprise the world with the good news of Jesus, the good news that he proclaimed and he demonstrated with his whole life, his death, and his resurrection. And the good news was this, that the kingdom of heaven had come. That because of Jesus, heaven is invading earth. So all of the things that you expect in heaven, all of the love, all of the compassion, all the goodness, all the unity, all of that stuff is invading earth. It's coming to earth because of Jesus. And so Jesus' unstoppable mission was to reconcile heaven to earth, to make it this unstoppable place where, where the original unity and love and compassion and peace of this world was totally restored. And Jesus did this by living this life that proclaimed that the kingdom was coming, but also living this life that demonstrated that the kingdom was coming. So he died this death he died a death that absorbed all of the violence and all of the destruction into himself. And then he came back to life affirming that life, that death wasn't the end and that hell had no more power on this earth because heaven had come. And then one day when Jesus comes and he returns in all of his fullness, the coolest thing that's going to happen is that heaven and earth will completely merge, that, that the kingdom of heaven will be fully manifested here on earth. Earth will be what it was meant to be at the very beginning in the garden. And then what Jesus does is he invites all of his followers to join him on this mission to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God had come to earth. And, and he invites us to do that by loving our neighbors so that they might experience the kingdom and be raised to life in Christ. And what we've been talking about is that here at Clarksburg Church, the idea of embodying the kingdom the idea of proclaiming and demonstrating that the kingdom of heaven has come to earth is a really intimidating and scary idea. It's kind of like, where do I even start? And so what we've chosen to do is we've chosen to kind of begin to articulate these five habits, these five values of the kingdom and say, hey, if we lived out these five habits, if we lived out these five values of generosity and hospitality and spirit-led and Christ-like and being sent, we would become people that are like Christ and would naturally surprise the world with this information that the kingdom of heaven had come near. And so we've been diving into these habits, these five habits, this rule of life to help us act into a new way of thinking, that we might practice becoming people who naturally just live this stuff out. And so over the past couple weeks, we've talked about bless. We've talked this idea about how we might bless three people, one inside of the church, one outside of the church, and one is like pick of the week. You could do either one. 
And then we talked last week about eating with three people every week, that you would eat with somebody inside the church, you'd eat with somebody outside the church, and then you'd pick someone, whether it was another person inside or another person outside, to, to manifest and generate hospitality in our lives, that we would, we would learn what this looks like, we'd become more hospitable people. And today we're gonna talk about listen. What does it look like to spend at least one period of the week listening to the Spirit's voice? Now, I don't know if you have favorite local spots in town. One of my favorite local spots is actually a park that's located at Cabin Branch. Uh, if you don't know where Cabin Branch is, do you know where the outlets are? Okay, on the other side of the outlets is a building community called Cabin Branch, and I swear it has one of the best playgrounds ever, like in Montgomery County, best playground. It's my favorite place to take my kids because it seems like they always know somebody on that playground and then they can go play and I can sit and do something else. This is my parenting tip. Uh, but one of the things that's interesting about this playground is it has a merry-go-round. You know those death trap merry-go-rounds? I thought they were outlawed, but they are not. And so what inevitably happens every time is there's like 15 kids on this merry-go-round, varying degrees of hanging off the merry-go-round. There was one time my youngest daughter was like, her head was hanging off of it, and her hair was like, as it's going round and round, her hair is like scraping the, the mulch on the thing. And I'm like, I just have these visions of her just flying off as it goes faster and faster. And I'm like, stop, like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Get on, like, get on, turn around. You need a better grasp. And they spin and they spin and they spin. And eventually, like, it never fails. Every time we're there and they're on the merry-go-round, some kid eventually goes flying off the merry-go-round. It's normally when a parent finally gets up to decide to push them round and round and round. I always think that's really fun. I don't do it. Somebody else does. But sometimes I feel in life like I am one of those kids holding on to this merry-go-round. That I am trying to keep up with life. And I am desperately clinging to anything that I can hold to in order to stay on this merry-go-round as it flies a million miles, what seems like a million miles an hour, going round and round and round and round. There's family obligations, and there's work commitments, and there's volunteer here and do that there. There's eat healthy, there's stay in shape, there's change the air filters in your furnace once a month. There's change, <clears throat> change your water filter every three months. There's change the batteries in your fire detector once a year. How in the world can I keep all of this straight? And I don't know if any of you guys feel this way too. There's <laughs> pick up your kids from the bus stop on time five days a week. This is a challenge. And so sometimes I feel like I am just trying to keep up with this merry-go-round as I hold on, as it just spins around and around. And, I, and I'm sure that I'm not the only one that feels this way. Perhaps we have different pressures and different things that we're trying to hold on to, but I think we all kind of feel this way. And now on top of all of that, here I stand up here and I'm trying to tell you like, hey now, bless three people a week. One inside the church, one outside the church and you know, picker's choice. Eat with three people a week, one inside, one outside and find somebody. It all feels like a lot, right? It all feels like you heaped even more on top of this already extremely difficult schedule. How am I supposed to hold on to this thing? As the wheel spins faster and faster. And if you feel that way currently, or you've ever felt that way, this and the whole series, this message is for you. Because that's exactly what I want to talk about. 
See, when I look at the example of Jesus, God wrapped in flesh walking here on earth, what I don't see, what we don't see, is a crazy, crazy, stressed out guy who is desperately trying to hold on to a merry-go-round. What we don't see is a guy that's running all over the place trying to keep up with all of the demands on his life. He was the son of God who was sent here on earth to start this movement of reconciling heaven to earth. He had people to heal, he had kids to feed, he had Pharisees to argue with. He had water to walk on and disciples to make. He had a cross to conquer. There was a lot to be done, and yet, he never strikes me as the guy who is running on the edge of a wheel, (laughs) trying to hold on. So why? Well, when I look at Luke chapter six, I begin to see a picture of why. And we're gonna look at that passage today and I'm gonna read Luke chapter six, verses 12 through 19. And as I do, I want you to try to pay attention to three different spaces that are described in this passage. Three different spaces, three different places, three different activities, three different times of day as we read. One of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. And then a large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from the coastal regions around Tyre and Sidon who had come near to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured (coughs) and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing all of them. Did you catch the three spaces? First, it's nighttime. And in the solitude of night, Jesus goes onto this mountaintop and he speaks alone with God. He's like talking with his heavenly father. There's nobody else there. It's just him and God in this space. And when morning comes, we're told that he moves from that space of being alone with God into the space of community. He draws these people around him that share these same ideas, these same values, these these same things that, that they're also trying to go after. And he says, hey, let's do it together. Come on, let's come together. Let's, let's, let's do it. And then after that, in the morning, we can only assume that it's in the afternoon that then him and his disciples like go into this level place. They move to this new space. And it's in this new space that they begin to do ministry. And the crazy thing to me is that Jesus and his disciples aren't chasing people down. They're not like running after people with tracks. Hey, listen to what I have to say. Like, hey, no, come on, just, hey, just come. They're not doing that. It says that people from all over came to Jesus and his disciples. They flocked to him. Transportation in those days was not easy. 
These people probably were people who didn't have a lot of money or opportunity. Many were sick, many were diseased. Travel wasn't easy and yet they're flocking to Jesus to be healed and to see what he has to say. They're mobbing him. I imagine Jesus is just like chilling. <laughs> In fact, it says that the power was just coming out of him and healing all of them. He's just chilling there. It's not working hard at all to make it happen. Now, so often when we talk about this idea of joining God and his mission and his ministry, so often what, what clicks in our mind immediately is like, get active, go do it. Find people to bless, people to eat with, people to heal, people to teach, people to mentor. Go, 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 go. And we wind up filling our calendars and our energy trying to, to get all the people to come, to find the people to heal, to find the people to bless and take care of. And what happens is, is we either get really tired, we get tired and we just love trying to keep up with this on top of everything else, or we get frustrated running after people because it seems like nobody wants what we have. Or we get confused because it always seems like we do or we say the wrong thing. We speak when we should have been silent or we're silent when we should have spoke or we challenge when really we should have offered compassion and we just don't know what to do. And so we get frustrated as we're going out and doing ministry. And then when we get frustrated, we realize, oh shoot, I should have been doing this with other people. And so then we move from these places of ministry to this place of community. Do you see this going backwards? We move to these places of community. We say, hey guys, I'm trying to do this really cool thing. Will you come help me do this cool thing? Please gather around me. And then when that doesn't work, then we go to God. We go to the solitude of the places of God and we say, God, what the heck? Where are you? Why didn't you show up? Why aren't you doing something? I'm trying to do all these things and you're not doing anything. I can't do this on my own. Come and help me. It's like we do the complete opposite thing that Jesus modeled. He said, go to God, join in community, and then do ministry. And we're like, no, 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 I'd like to get started first, and then I'll find some people to help. And then, God, if I really need you, then, then we'll talk. But Jesus models this, this thing of solitude with God, of engaging with him and listening to him, engaging with community and then being sent into ministry. Now, this isn't the only place in Luke 6, this isn't the only place that Jesus models doing this. It's actually in these regular rhythms where Jesus pulls away from the crowd, from the busyness and the important work that he is called to, to listen and to talk with his father. And every time he comes back from these places, amazing things happen. Like crazy, amazing things. Like in this example, it specifically said like Jesus comes back and like power is sent out from him. <laughs> like I just wish that that was my life. <laughs> but over and over again, this happens. He spends time alone with his father and then he re-engages and <laughs> like. It's after these experiences that he's like all juiced up and he's refilled and he's guided by the Holy Spirit. And it's in these places of meeting with God that, that Jesus was fueled. And he was given the direction to love and to care for others, to know who to talk to and who to remain silent with. 
and who to engage and who to diffuse and who to challenge and who to offer compassion. See, everything that Jesus says and does is fueled by what happens in these moments right here where he's alone and listening to his father. I get this image of um, Jesus that when he's pulling away and, and from all the crowds and all the things and he's spending time with his father, he's like the kid on the merry-go-round who finally figures out that if you stand in the middle, right? Do you ever see like the kid who finally figures out that if you just stand in the middle, you just kind of turn blissfully like this, the whole world is my kingdom, right? You don't feel like you're gonna be thrown off the wheel anymore. You're, you're right in the center. You're connected to everything that's going on. And you're still turning sort of just as fast as you were before. The wheel is turning just as fast as it was before. But because you found the center, you can rest. This is what it looks like when we have these regular rhythms of pulling into the center and meeting with our Heavenly Father to just listen to Him. And Jesus talked. <coughs> Jesus talked about living life in this manner in terms of a plant and its branches. See, Jesus said this. He said, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and in my words and I remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is what Jesus is saying. You think I'm stunt preaching, but really, I just forgot this. This is a plant that my husband has been growing for years. <laughs> and he waters it every once in a while, and it really needs to be replanted. This looks just as beautiful as this. The problem is, if we wait two weeks, this will still be alive, and this will be dead. And this is what we do all the time in our lives. We kind of have these revitalizing moments with God, where we come to life, and we're experiencing the joy and the grace and the fruit of who God is, and we say, oh, I got it. I got it now. I can go on my own. Look how beautiful I am. And we think that we got it, so we go out and we do the work that God has called us to. We begin to bless other people. We begin to eat up with other people. And, and in fact, for a little while, it goes fine. 
The problem is, is that unless we are connected to the source, unless we're connected to the life-giving root, unless we're connected continuously to our Father, (laughs) that's actually not gonna fix it, but. (laughs) Unless we're connected, we're not gonna get anywhere. We will eventually pitter out and we will die because you and me in and of ourselves We have no life-giving force on our own. It's only when we're connected to the Father, when we've taken time to pull away from the edges and listen, that we can be empowered to then go into the world and know when we're supposed to speak and not speak and who we're supposed to reach out to and who we're supposed to leave alone. And I would wager that most of us don't know how to do this well. Which is part of the reason that we only turn to going to God and spending time with him and listening to him as a last resort. But the only way to get better at it is to actually practice. And so I'm inviting you, I'm inviting you to each week find a time Designate a period of time each week to listen to the Holy Spirit. Set, and there's some ways we're going to talk about how to do this, because we don't know how. The first way that I want to challenge you with is that you actually set aside a designated time. Now, when I've talked about this before, I know some people say, hold on, Scripture says pray without ceasing. Scripture says I should always be in prayer. And my answer to that is, yes, absolutely, you should always be in prayer. But there are times when you need to only be in prayer. You need to cease all the other things and only be in prayer. And so what does it look like for us to set aside a designated time that we say, hey, Mondays at seven o'clock, this is my time. Saturday mornings at 8 a.m., this is my time. This is the time that I turn everything else off and I just listen to the Holy Spirit. And my recommendation is is that you actually tell people when this time is. You tell the people, particularly the ones you live in, live with, not in, live with. And the reason you do this, I know that Jesus says like, hey, when you pray, don't tell people about it, go into a secret closet. The reason Jesus says that is because he doesn't want people to get arrogant and inflated about their prayer time. But that's not why you're telling the people in your house that this is your prayer time. The reason you're telling the people in your house this is your prayer time is because they don't bug you, that you don't have a child knocking on the door saying, hey, I need a snack, I need a snack. No, go away, I'm listening to God. You are not the voice of God right now. And so you tell the people, but also what a great witness and testimony to the rest of your family. Hey guys, I, I, I'm gonna go listen to the voice of God because I need to be refreshed. I need to be rejuvenated by my heavenly father. And so you designate a time and you stick with it. Now, I'm asking you to do it once a week. This doesn't mean that you can't do it more than once a week. I know that there will be people that will like email me or something and they'll say, hey, no, you're supposed to do this every day. That's fine, you can do it every day. But, but what I would really love is if the people in our congregation did it at least once a week. That we would take time and listen. That you'd make a date and you'd stick to it. It'd be some morning, some lunch, some night, for 10, 15, 30 minutes, whatever it is, but that you would set that aside and you'd do it. 
The next way you do this after designating a time is you actually eliminate distractions. We live in a world that is filled with distractions. And so find a quiet room, a quiet surroundings, a quiet place. Put your phone away. Turn off the TV. In some cases, even the voice of devotionals or other sermons can get in the way and crowd out the voice of God. In fact, sometimes our own voice gets in the way of hearing the voice of God. We like so much to control this time and this space that we're like, well, I'll just talk to God. I'll tell him about all the things I need and all the things that are going on. And sometimes God's just like, shut up. It's my turn. Have you ever been on a date with somebody who wouldn't shut up? And you're just thinking in your head, when is it my turn? When is it my turn? I think sometimes God feels that way. He, he's just like, stop talking, because I, I, it's my turn. It's my turn. And so quiet your own voice as well. See, the voice of God is sort of like this wild animal. I know that we have some hunters in our church, and I don't know a lot about hunting, but what I do know is you have to sit quiet for a really long time, which makes me think I'll be bad at hunting. Because the voice of God is very similar to a wild animal. It's not going to force itself in. It's not going to come out if there's too many distractions. It will wait until the stillness. It will wait until it's wanted. It will wait until it knows that nothing will scare it away. Until it's still enough to come out and be heard. And so we must eliminate distractions. And after we do that, our next step is to wait and to trust. See, this is a really hard part because inevitably the second you sit down and start listening and are ready to listen to the voice of God, you immediately start to think, oh shoot, I forgot to. Oh no, I really need to. Oh, but let me just get this done first. And all of a sudden we find ourselves getting up within an instant and going and doing once again. Or we sit there for a minute or two, but with no result, we think, oh, I guess God's not speaking today. And we just move on to the next thing. But my challenge for you is to just hang in there and wait. Let go of your expectation of what you think the outcome might be and just sit and relish in the presence of God. Allow yourself to be still <clears throat> and to be quiet and trust that if you are still and quiet, he will come. He will speak. Now with that, I will warn you, it's not going to be a magical voice that poof, starts speaking to you. Sometimes I get asked the question, what does God's voice sound like? <coughs> it certainly doesn't sound like me. It's not a magical voice. It's not a poof. Instead, it's more like an assurance that strengthens over time. That as we, week in and week out, sit quietly in the presence of God, we allow himself to reveal himself more and more and lead us bit by bit. Sometimes <clears throat> I think that figuring out what the voice of God sounds like <clears throat> is sort of like walking into a bank that's just been robbed, right? I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but there was this one time in college where I like was certain, I was certain that 
God had told me to do, he, I was certain he had told me to get up in front of this big crowd and start talking to them when I had no place. I was a freshman. I had no place and no authority to like get up in front of the whole school and start talking to them. Not, none whatsoever. But I swore that this was what God had said to me. Turned out I had just drunk too much coffee. <laughs> but sometimes figuring out the difference between those two things is hard. And so I like to bring up the example of like figuring out and discerning whether it is God's voice or too much coffee is like going into a bank that has just been robbed. It sounds really crude, but I imagine that when you walk into that bank as a detective, there's a certain level of reverence that you enter into that space with, and you're looking for clues. You're very carefully walking around so you don't muddy the scene, so you don't destroy the evidence, and you're looking and trying to figure out, is this the voice of God? Do I have other people that can confirm this? Do I have scripture that can confirm this? Is this what God sounds like in other scenarios and in other spaces? And I compare it to someone who enters into the freshly robbed bank and what they do is they just like muddy boots. Hey guys, and you start like knocking things over, right? I think that sometimes what happens is when we declare, I have heard the voice of God, it's very similar to us walking into this crime scene that we just start knocking things over. We just start declaring things. I heard God and God said this and, and it becomes a very, very dangerous place for us to be. I think we become better detectives the more practice that we have. We discern God's voice the slower we go, the more we pay attention to the little things around us. I also think that it's like being in a crowded room filled with people. It's filled with voices and noises. And have you ever been in one of those crowded rooms and all of a sudden from the corner of the room you can hear someone's voice? Maybe it's your mom or your dad or your spouse. From all the way across the room, you can hear them and you can pick out their laugh. You can pick out what it is that they've said. And I think that after practicing this for a very long time, that's what it's like with God. That we know our Heavenly Father's voice and what it sounds like because we know our Heavenly Father. That when we've regularly spent time with our Heavenly Father, we begin to know what his voice sounds like because we know him. We know the types of things that he's going to say. We know when he's calling us to eat with somebody, when he's calling us to bless, when he's calling us to go, and when he's calling us to rest. It's after this practice that we know better what it is that he sounds like. And so as you begin this practice of listening to God, if you're like, I don't know what God sounds like, that's okay. You will learn it. You will decipher it. You will discern it. The last part of listening to God's voice that is so important is following the promptings. There's nothing worse that after talking with somebody for a while, when they then go out and do the complete opposite thing than what you've just asked them to do. And I think that when God speaks to us and we choose to do something else, this is what God feels like. Wait a second. I just spoke to you. I just... I just led you in this particular direction and you did the complete opposite thing. In human terms, that relationship's not gonna last very long. But the great thing is that when God invites us to do something that sometimes seems too big for us to be obedient in, 
He always gives us a plan of how to make it happen. I think that this is the best part about following Jesus, that whenever we meet with God and he says, hey, I want you to step out in faith in this. I want you to walk with me in this. He always comes up with a plan to make it happen. He always provides all of the resources you need. He always provides the path for you to follow. Now, the frustrating part is he doesn't tell you from the very beginning what it is that you're supposed to do. He kind of just gives you like, it's like this breadcrumb trail and you're like, wait, where's the next piece of bread? Where am I supposed to go next? But he always gives you the next right thing. And if ever he tells you something that you're not sure you want to follow, you're in good company. Because at Jesus' last night, Jesus knew that he was being led to the cross. And Jesus didn't want to follow either. And so he has this prayer with his father as he's going into these intimate spaces. And he falls to his knees and he cries out to his father, Abba, Father, would you take this cup from me? Can we have a different plan? Can we do something else? I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to die on the cross. And then Jesus ends his prayer to his father with this, yet not what I will, but what you will. And what gave Jesus the power to walk towards death was having been with his father, having listened to the father's voice, being reassured that he was God's child. And that's what enabled him to do these really hard things, to empower him to live this life. See, it was this voice and this truth that Jesus was seeped in that allowed Jesus to walk freely into everything else that Jesus was called to. I mean, think about what Jesus walked through. He walked through people laughing at him. He walked through people applauding at him. He walked through people yelling Hosanna, but then people yelling crucify. And still he walked through life. He was empowered to do this because in the middle of all of it, Jesus knew the truth of the voice that spoke to him, that you are my beloved. You are God's favorite one. And above all the other voices that shouted at him, he listened to the one that he had heard when he was alone with his father. See, this is the really cool thing, that the more we spend time with our father, the more we are empowered to love others. The more we know how much our Father loves us, the more we're able to go out and love the other people that he also loves. And so God is calling you into a meeting with him. He wants to wash truth over you that you are loved, that you are his chosen, that you are his favorite. He longs to meet with you and he waits for you to be still long enough in order to listen. Now today, we wanna create some space for us to practice one more time, for us to be able to listen together, to be still long enough to listen. And I know that we often can listen by singing songs and lighting candles and taking communion and doing prayer requests, but today, what I wanted us to do is to actually just sit still. And so we're just gonna have some, a little bit of music, a little bit of background music playing as we allow God to speak to us. We sit still enough, long enough for his voice to come through. Now, long enough, it's really gonna be just a couple minutes. So if you're sitting there and you're like, how long is long enough? It's okay. But I'm gonna ask you to resist the temptation to get up and go to the bathroom. 
to resist the temptation to turn to your neighbor and talk to them, but instead practice this thing of being in the stillness so that God can speak to you. So before we do that, let's just take a second to to pray and ask God to speak to us. Father God, (coughs) I thank you that you are a God that doesn't just say, hey, do it, (laughs) make it happen, hold on tight, spin the wheel, but instead you draw us in close to the center. You desire for us to be empowered and emboldened by you, to be strengthened by your life. And so, Father God, we desperately need to hear your voice this morning. We need to hear your truth. And so in these moments, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us? Remind us who it is that we are and what it is that you have promised. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.